0: Praise the Lord. God bless all of you tonight. Amen. So good to see everyone here with us. Amen. Mr. Rudy, I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you, sir. We're so thankful to have you with us tonight. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. And all of you, so good to see you tonight. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ is here. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that? Praise God. Again, because He is here, anything can happen. Anything is possible in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's all stand tonight. Let's ask His blessing on this service. This is His service. We are His people. It's His church. It's all His. Amen. We're here to receive from Him tonight. Not from a man, uh, but from God. Amen. Lord Jesus, we worship You. We praise You. We laud and we magnify You. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity you've given us tonight to bind together as one body, to enter into the presence of Almighty God, to receive of you all that you have in store for us tonight. Everything that you give us is good, and it is right, and it is perfect for us. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so very much. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering on a cross and dying in my place. Hallelujah, Jesus, for giving me forgiveness of sins, for giving me redemption, salvation, A relationship with the Lord my God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Help us to receive all that you have in store for us tonight. And Lord Jesus, that your name may be glorified in our midst. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing tonight. You can be seated. Amen. So by way of introduction, you notice you have kind of a a thick uh, handout. Amen. Amen. I tried to shorten it up as much as possible. I could have, but I decided, eh, this will be profitable for some, not so profitable for others. We're going to be talking tonight about studying the Word of God. And I understand, I'm hoping anyway, I believe it to be true, that a lot of you already have a, a uh, dedicated regimen uh, of discipline, of Bible study, devotion, memorization, those things. Uh, and if you do, uh, fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, and that works for you, man, keep doing it. Keep going forward in that. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's my motto. Uh, But if you can't glean anything from this tonight, uh, please do. And if you don't have a dedicated regimen of Bible study in place at present, uh, you can use this as, at the very least, a starting point. These aren't meant to be hard and fast rules. You've got to do this, and then you've got to do that. No. No. Uh, just look at it. Use it as a starting point, if nothing else. Uh, but start. Start somewhere. Start doing something. Uh, and as you do that, as you dedicate a portion of your time to studying God's Word, God will lead you into different areas, and God will develop with you a pattern or a plan that works for you. Amen. But you've got to start somewhere. And if you haven't, uh, I think this is a good place to start. Amen. 2 Timothy 3.16 states this, All Scripture, not some, not most, but all Scripture, is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. It is from His mouth. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Amen. John 17.17 says, "...Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth." Amen. Now, this Bible study tonight from this point forward is going to make a very big assumption, uh, that assumption being that you already understand that the Word of God is true from cover to cover. You understand that the Word of God is God-breathed. The Bible is the very Word of Almighty God. Now, if you haven't come to that conclusion yet, you're still questioning or wondering, then that entails another conversation entirely, uh, a conversation that we've detailed in other lessons, but. Uh, If you are in that place, you do have questions or you just don't accept that, uh, I would ask that you come speak to me and let's talk about it. Amen. Uh, I was in that place at one point. Uh, I wouldn't have said that, but I was. I believed the Word of God until I had to live it, and I wasn't living it. Amen. So, in any case, I understand coming from that position, but if you are in that place, I'd love to talk to you about it. Amen. Amen. Assuming, though, that you do understand that the Word of God is true from cover to cover, it is God-breathed, we'll proceed from that point. Uh, Okay, I've already covered that. Why do we need to study the Bible? Well, that's a good question. It would be very nice if once we received the Holy Ghost, God would just dump all of that information into our brains, wouldn't it? The entire Word of God just come right in, and we could quote it, whatever we wanted. We'd just bring it right out. That would be awesome. But that's not the way it works. Even Jesus, our perfect example, had to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Word of God. If Jesus had to learn the Word of God as a man, uh, we're going to have to learn it as well. Again, this entire, this entire Christian experience is a partnership between us and Him. It's a partnership. We do ours and he does his, right? That's how he has stipulated this to go forward. So if we will dedicate ourselves and apply ourselves to study and to learning and to grow, we will do so. God will reveal his truth to us, God will show us things that he would not otherwise have shown us. If I sit here like a lump and just attend services and that's what I get, that's what I get of the Word of God. I mean, something is better than nothing, but that's that's living on starvation mode, my friend. Uh, if if I ate only a couple times a week, I wouldn't be very healthy. Uh, that wouldn't last too long, and so I would encourage you definitely come to service, definitely receive what you can from the service. But when we're not in service, get into the Word of God. Study it out. Ascend its heights, plume its depths. Amen. Get into the Word of God. Why do we need to study the Bible? Well, the Bible is God's Word to us. John one, 1:1, John one fourteen says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. The Word was made flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, the Bible is God's Word to us. The Bible is many other things to us. Our daily bread, our judge, our revelation of God, who He is, what He wants, His character, His will for our lives. If we don't understand Scripture... There is a whole lot that we don't understand that we really need to understand. What does He expect of me? Wouldn't that be nice to know? If I'm going to stand before Him one day and be judged by Him, which the Bible clearly states, I want to know by what standard I'm going to be judged by. How do I meet that standard? The Bible tells us that. His character. What should I aspire to? Who should I aspire to be in my life? Should I aspire to be aggressive and, and get everything I can? Is that the character of God? Well, if I don't read the Bible, how would I know? That's not the character of God, by the way. John 6.35 says, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Amen. It is the bread of life to us. John 14, 8-11 says, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Amen. The Bible explains to us that Jesus is God manifest in flesh. What an awesome thing that that is. John 20 and 28 says, Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Referring to Jesus after the resurrection. That word God is the same exact Greek word that's used all throughout the New Testament for the Old Testament God. So what was Thomas saying? This was God manifest in flesh. Through reading Scripture, we understand who God is. Galatians 5, 16-25 says this, referring to Christ's or God's character. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, lust, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So the Bible causes us to conclude something, that there are two sides to this equation. There's living in the flesh, there's living in the Spirit. Which would God prefer that we do? Which one most closely emulates the character of Jesus Christ? The Spirit. Amen. That is the character of God, the fruit of the Spirit manifested in us, is the character of God coming through us, through the Spirit of God dwelling in us. Amen. And as an aside, uh, when we're referring to holiness, holiness doesn't come because of a set of standards or because of a, uh, we, we post a set of rules, folks. That's not holiness. That's, that's a legal set of rules. I mean, And you can follow rules. I mean, I do it at work. Some of the stuff I do at work, I do because that's the rules. Not because it's in here. Uh, But as the condition of employment, that's what I need to do. So I do it. But the, the, the kingdom of God is something else entirely. God wants it in here. He wants to write His laws where? On the tables of our hearts. Not on tables of stone, like He had to in the Old Testament. He wants them written in here. And when they're in here, folks, they will inevitably manifest themselves on the outward. Amen. But it starts in here. The fruit of the Spirit starts inward. The Bible is able to transform us, bring us into a state of Christ-likeness, if we'll study it and apply it. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible says in the Old Testament, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our hearts lie to us. We think we know what's going on, but a lot of times we don't. But the Word of God can discern through all of that. The Spirit of God can discern through all of that and tell us in no uncertain terms what is really going on. And I'm thankful for that because here's why. When I'm I'm stuck in delusion, when I'm stuck thinking I know what's going on, but I really don't, there's no fix. There's no cure. I'm stuck living that way. I just have to deal with it. What if I know what's really going on? I know the source of my contention. I know the source of, of, of my problem or issue or whatever it is. Now something can be done about it. Now I can call the Lord Jesus into that situation and let Him heal me. Because I'm not deluded anymore. I'm not, I'm not under these false pretenses that, well, it's, it's so-and-so's fault. That's why I'm like this. Well, that could be a catalyst. I mean, I'm not saying that that doesn't affect people. It does. But at the end of the day, I'm choosing something. I'm choosing how to respond to a situation. And I understand. I understand it's easy for me to stand up here and say, well, you just need to do the right thing. I get that. It's not so easy when you're in the middle of it. Okay, we all understand that. But the right answer is still the right answer. And it applies to me as much as anyone else. If someone's done me wrong, the Bible commands me to forgive them just as well as it commands you to forgive. It applies equally to every Christian. Every person. And that's the right answer. When I know what the real situation is, and the Bible can tell me that, the Bible can reveal that to me, and whence, once truth illuminates my mind, once, once the problem is illuminated by the Word of God and everything is laid bare, now I can, I can unpack it. I can start letting God unpack it and work through that stuff and heal me. I don't have to deal with these things for the rest of my life. I don't have to push them down and, and, and just work through it. I can actually be delivered from these things. And the Word of God helps with that. It illuminates what's going on in my heart. The Bible contains many covenant promises we are to stand on in time of need. 2 Peter 1.4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. That's an important phrase. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? What is the Bible saying here? Through the through these exceeding great and precious promises, I can be a partaker of the divine nature. Through these promises, folks, I can receive salvation. I can receive miraculous healing. I can receive miraculous deliverance from anything that I'm suffering from. I can even forgive people that I've not been able to forgive. And sometimes, folks, that's just That's human nature. I can't forgive that person, but God can help me forgive that person. God can give me the strength. God can give me the the ability to do that. Amen. I'm picking on forgiveness. I could be picking on any number of things. The Bible reveals truth to us. John 18, 37 says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Jesus Christ bears witness unto the truth. Now, that, that gets back to what I was saying earlier about it, understanding that the Bible, the Word of God, is truth. It is a worldview. It is a presupposition. I can't prove it scientifically that God exists. Although, uh, on the same token, you can't prove that He does not exist. Try proving something isn't. Any philosopher will just walk away from that one. Uh, You can't. You can't prove that something isn't. uh, Because nobody knows everything in the entire universe. Except one person we believe to be God. He knows everything. But we don't. I would dare say that Uh, Nobody even knows half of everything. Anyway, I think that's an interesting concept. Moving on, this worldview that we, we we've spoken about this at length in times past, but just understand this: if we don't accept the Word of God as being absolutely true, then we accept something else as being absolutely true. Everybody does. Everybody has a certain set of presuppositions to which they subscribe, through which all data, all evidence is filtered through. There are some things that some people just won't hear. That's the way we're built. That's the way we are. Because we're filtering things through our worldview, our presuppositions. If I speak to an atheist about miracles, he's not going to hear that. Why? Because miracles can't exist. Has he scientifically proven that they can't exist? No. They they can't exist based on his worldview, based on his set of presuppositions. Everybody has them, including us. Our presuppositions, our worldview is based in Scripture. The Word of God is the ultimate authority. The Word of God is the foundation for everything. That's what the biblical Christian believes. If a Christian doesn't believe that, Yeah, we'll leave it at that. <coughs> that that's something else. <laughs> John 117 says the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Psalm one nineteen one forty two. 142 says, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is truth. Psalm 119, folks, awesome psalm. Concerning the Word of God, concerning the principles and precepts and... and, and uh, the laws and judgments that the Lord our God gives us. Psalm 119, 151 says, Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. Amen. So, getting into studying the Word of God proper. If you've never done this before, if you if you're just starting out, we're going to call that the beginner level tonight. That's not a slight, that's not a a, a, a slam, that's just You got to figure out where you're starting from before you can get somewhere, right? If I try to get to Washington D.C., it's helpful to know where I'm starting from. I'm starting from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, or if I'm starting from Barrow, Alaska, the directions are going to be different, even though I'm trying to get to the same place. So, if we've not if we've not done anything with this before, we're just starting out. Okay, some things that you ought to know. What is the Bible? It's a collection of manuscripts that have been assembled into one book. Today we have it as one book. We call it the Bible. We don't buy a bunch of manuscripts. We just buy one book. It's a Bible. But it has 66 different manuscripts or books in it. This book is divided generally into two parts. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Testament is a legal term uh, referring to a testator, Uh, And it has to do with a will. Some would refer to it as the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It is God's Word given to us through the agency of men. And we see that all through Scripture. That men wrote this. Many men wrote this. But there is only one author. It's a living book. That means that I could study it for a thousand years and never begin to scratch the surface of what it has in there. I could study it for a thousand years and come the next day and see something brand new. I'd never seen that before. It's an incredible book. It's living. It speaks directly to you. It's going to speak to you differently than it speaks to me. Why? Because you're a different person. You're going through different things. So it's a living book. Some have asked, uh, can I make notes in my Bible? Is that allowed? Can I underline? Can I highlight? I would say absolutely you can. Mark it up. Do what you need to do to remember it. That's what it's there for. You're not, uh, you're not being sacrilegious. You're not dishonoring God's Word by doing that. I would recommend uh, taking notes in a notebook too. Uh, I find that helpful. We'll talk about that later, but but definitely uh, make notes of the margin, underline, make cross-references, whatever, whatever you need to do. There are different types of translations that we see. Uh, there are three general types of translations. I think we've touched on this before, but we'll go over them again here tonight. Uh, the first type of translation is a word-for-word translation, and that's where the the translators are seeking to stay as close to the original manuscript as possible. They will translate word for word when possible. They're striving for accuracy. Most accurately follow the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek original text. Okay? Uh, Some examples of that are the, the King James Version, the NASB, the ESV. There are others. Uh, You can look them up online. Just do word-for-word Bible translation, and you'll get a list of different ones. Uh, That is the kind of Bible I like to use personally for general study, for my overall study. Uh, That's where I start. That's where I end up. Now, I do use other other types of translations, and we'll go over those uh, here momentarily. But for discovering doctrine, for discovering uh, what God is trying to speak to me, His will, etc., I begin and end with some type of word for word. Now the second type of translation is thought for thought. Bibles like the NIV version, the revised English version, Good News Bible, living translation or I'm sorry, New Living Translation. These are, are more modern English. They're easier generally to understand. I find them helpful in understanding ancient figures of speech. The Bible does use figures of speech, colloquialisms that were common in ancient Israel uh, during the time that these were written. Uh, but I unless, I, unless I have a book that, that details those, uh, I, I really don't know where they're coming from. It'd be kind of like uh, someone reading in a, in a manuscript a few hundred years from now, someone kicks the bucket. Well, we know what that means. But that may have fallen out of use hundreds of years ago. These guys have no clue what that means. If I do a word-for-word translation, I'm going to translate it, kick the bucket. But if I do a thought-for-thought translation, I'll translate it, die. So in that sense, I find these types of translations useful uh, in in trying to clarify the meaning of a text, trying to clarify uh, certain colloquialisms and, and cultural references, that I just don't understand in, in 21st century United States. I find it very helpful for that. But again, you want to be a little bit careful with these translations because there is a little bit of poetic license built into a thought-for-thought translation. Just understand it. I'm not, I'm not scared about that. I, I wouldn't be afraid of that or anything. Uh, but just, just be aware of that. There's a little bit of poetic license built into uh, these translations. Now, the third type is a paraphrase. Translations like the Message or the Living Bible. Now, I would use these uh, primarily to get a a better understanding of the flow of of a Bible account, the overall picture, the overall bird's eye view of something, or to get maybe a better understanding of of a Bible character. That's really all I use these types of translations for. And the reason for that is, Because there is uh, certainly at points a lot of poetic license built into the paraphrase. Amen. Uh, So I wouldn't really use these for any serious Bible study uh, because of that fact. But I would use it for the aforementioned reasons. To get a better understanding of the flow of a story or an account. uh, Maybe a better understanding of, of where the character fits in the story. Things like that. A bird's eye view. So those are the three types of translations that you'll run into. Again, I would recommend doing the bulk of your study from a word-for-word. Word. doesn't have to be KJV. I like the KJV simply because that's what I've always used. I'm comfortable with it. Uh, someone just coming into this may not be comfortable with the these and the thous and the thys and all of that. Uh, but I... From far back as I can remember, we were using KJV, so that's what I use. I did all my memorizing out of KJV, so I'm comfortable with that. That's what I use. Uh, a lot of people are going to ESV, and ASV is, is a good translation, too. Uh, any one of those would be fine, I think. Uh, but for me personally, I'm going to stick with the KJV because that's what I've always used, and it's a good translation. So, so pick, what's, pick what works for you and uh, go with that. Amen. The two types of divisions we talked about a little bit ago, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was written over a period of 1,400 years by 32 different writers, and it covers approximately 3,600 years of man's history. Amen. And I find that significant because if you look at any other topic, science, medicine, history, You read people's writings over a period of 1,400 years on the exact same topic. What you'll discover is that there's a lot of disagreement. Nothing messes. Nothing fits. But with God's Word, everything fits perfectly. 32 different writers over a period of uh, 1,400 years. And everything is perfectly fit together. Not one contradiction. Nothing. It all it all comes together silky smooth. A good way to remember how many books there are: thirty-nine books. Old has three testament. Old has three letters. Testament has nine letters. Three and nine is thirty-nine. Thirty-nine books. Amen. Easy peasy. And again, there are many writers, but only one author, and that's the reason why everything remains completely and wholly consistent because there is one author working through 32 different people over a period of 1,400 years. It's awesome. Those 32 people had different backgrounds. They were from different time periods, lived in different parts of the world. They had different personalities and experiences and yet one continuous story. Nowhere do we see a writer's own philosophy or ideas inserted into the text. One quick example of this is Moses. Moses was purported, and we generally believe it to be so, as being the author or the, the writer of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's the one that penned them. Moses was brought up in the courts of Pharaoh. He would have learned all of the science, all of the religion of the Egyptians. We don't see any of that. Not one reference to that in any of the five books of the Bible. Nothing. All we see is what God says. So that's a a very easy example to demonstrate that the men that God used, He was he wasn't really used in their minds or their experiences. He was, they were being made available to write God's Word. To write it God's way. In His time. Period. That's important for us to understand. Because some of the arguments against God's Word is, well, it's written by men. Yes and no. Yes, it was penned by men, but the author was God. That is a very important difference. So we can be assured that what we have today, and we'll, we'll get more into how we received what we have today in its form in a little bit. But we can be assured that what we have today is the very word of God. The entire book from Genesis to Revelation is both internally and externally consistent. No contradictions and only one persistent account throughout. That of God's love for us and His desire to redeem fallen humanity. That theme is present throughout all of Scripture. It starts from the very first book and it ends in the very last book. Aren't you thankful that this God that created everything created you, loves us enough to redeem us. I am. I am so thankful for the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. That overall theme never falters or wavers in the slightest in any area of Scripture. It doesn't matter whose God is using to write the particular book. Something that would be helpful for the beginning aspiring Bible scholar is to memorize the books of the Bible. Now, when I got in church, I'm sure when some of you got in church, uh, some people would have these tabs in their, their Bible, and they would refer to them eloquently as backslider tabs. Never heard that? That's what they called it in our church. Backslider tabs. Because you didn't know, you didn't know the Bible. I don't, I don't know why they called it that. I had tabs. I found it helpful when I was first getting in church. I didn't care. I had tabs and they were great. <clears throat> I don't need them now. Thank God. But I did then and I found them helpful. So if you find it helpful, man, throw the tabs in there. and Don't look back. If it helps you find, find Scripture quicker and easier, do it. I'm telling you. They're awesome. But I would, I would encourage you to memorize the books of the Bible. So you can, someone shouts out, Hosea chapter 3. You know, is that old or New Testament? I mean, I, like I said, that's where I started. I knew where Revelation was, I knew where Genesis was. I didn't know where anything else was. <laughs> anything else, I needed to look at the index. What page is that? <laughs> sword drills. I thought sword drills were fun uh, when, I was, when I was first getting into this. Someone to throw a scripture out, and first one to get it wins the, wins the drill. That's good practice. Amen. So methods of study. When you're first starting out, the first thing I would encourage you to do is to discipline yourself to read something in the Bible every day, even if it's only one verse every day. Just just get the discipline down, the daily discipline that I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read this Bible every single day. I'm going, to, I'm going to commit to one verse a day. One verse is profitable because then you can meditate on it. You can think about it during the day. I found that profitable from time to time. But once you get that down, once you, once, once you feel like, okay, this is a habit now. This is, this is something I'm doing every day no matter what. Start pushing yourself. Maybe two verses. Maybe four. Try to get up to a whole chapter a day. Keep working your way up. If you don't understand a word or a scripture, write it down and either look it up or ask someone for help to to help you figure out what that means. There's nothing wrong with that. Boy, I had some doozy questions when I was first getting into this. I still remember a couple of them. I stumped a few people before I got my answer. But I got my answer. Amen. Don't be afraid to ask. I still ask. Why not? I don't know. I want to know. So I ask. Something else I would encourage you to do, particularly for those uh, passages of Scripture that you don't maybe understand 100% is pray about it. Seek help from God to understand what you've read. Understanding Spiritual things comes from the Spirit of God. These things are revealed to people. When Jesus taught in parables, He said this, Having eyes they see not, having ears they hear not, neither can they understand with their hearts. Those people that are looking for truth and hungry for truth, God's going to reveal those things to you. If your motives are wrong, or you're just using this to be uh, disputive or, or argumentative, God's not going to reveal His truths to you. But seek help from God to understand what you've read. Seek help from God to retain those things that you've read. And seek help from God to apply what you've read to your life. That is a very important step of the process. Being a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. The Bible says if we do that, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We've got to do the Word of God. Otherwise, why is God giving us revelation? There was a while in my life where I had stopped. I love learning. I love learning new topics, new things, branching out into different areas. I I just love it. But there was a period of time in my life where I had stopped doing that because I don't ever use any of this. It's fun to know, but I can't speak to anyone about it because I don't know anyone that's interested in it. I can't use it, so why bother? And I was a little bit discouraged, it. now I'm learning stuff that I can use. So that helps a lot, being able to use that, that knowledge. Referring back to the Word of God. If I don't use, if I don't apply what God is showing me, it's useless information. It does me no good. It does me no good just to know what the Bible says if I'm not doing what it says. I've got to do it. There are all kinds of people that know the Word of God. Satan knows the Word of God. He knows it better than any one of us. The only difference is he doesn't do it, right? Right? We ought to be doing it. We ought to be doing the Word of God. Memorize Scripture. This is very profitable for us. Pick a favorite verse or one that you think has been used a lot in services, one that's been helpful to you in a particular situation. Pick one of those verses and memorize it. Now, memorization for a lot of people can be very scary. And the reason for that is, well, I'm not good at memorizing. I can't remember stuff very well. Well, it's a muscle like anything else. People don't start off bench pressing three hundred pounds either, unless you're a mutant. I guess there are probably those that can't start there, but I know I can't. (laughs) I'd have to work up to that for a few weeks. Amen. Memorization is the same way. It's a skill that you can learn. As you begin to memorize, it gets easier. It, it may be very difficult at first but just press through press through my my strategy is just say it out loud a bunch of times 10 20 30 40 times just repeat it over and over and over listen to it listen to yourself saying it and then start trying to quote it you probably won't get it right the first time just look back and try it again eventually you're going to get it you're going to have that victory I've memorized my first, my first scripture. Jesus wept. Amen. I memorized a, a Bible verse. And then once you get it down, so you can quote it without looking at it, review that periodically. Reinforce that. Short-term memory is one thing. Getting it into long-term memory is something else entirely. If you keep reviewing that from time to time, it will get into your long-term memory, which is where we want it. The final thing I would recommend to the the beginner, I would recommend to anybody, is tell others what God has has been showing you in His Word. Tell someone. And don't don't be bashful or ashamed or embarrassed about it. And if someone comes up to you excited about what God is 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 talking to them about and you're like you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I knew that years ago. That's pretty elementary. Don't say that. Please don't say that. Be excited with them. Man, that's awesome that God's talking to you. Isn't that awesome that God would speak directly to that situation? Encourage that. <laughs> You don't even have to go to ABI for God to talk to you. How awesome is that? That's a that's great. That's that's wonderful. I think. <laughs> Tell others what God's talking to you about. When I first got into church, that was that was uh, something that I was encouraged to do, and I found it very helpful. You know that the one of the best ways to learn something is to teach it to someone else. I have learned more about God's Word teaching Bible studies than I ever have sitting down by myself and just hashing through stuff. So tell someone. Teach someone. Principles of interpretation to be aware of at this stage. There are a lot of different principles that we could get into, uh, but at a beginning stage, I would just stick with this. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. That's the first one. If you're unsure of a passage... Uh, read the read the verse before it. Read the verse after it. Read the entire chapter. Read the chapter before it. Read the chapter after it. Try to try to see where it fits in context. Scripture will interpret Scripture. God designed it that way. Second thing we should be aware of is God will never contradict what He has said in His Word. I've spoken with people. Uh, They've told me some some doozy things that God has told them. And I'm like, are you sure that was God? Because God's Word says something else. And He's not going to contradict that. So, when you're praying about a Scripture, or when you're praying about, uh, Lord, illuminate this to my mind, and you get an answer, just understand that answer is not going to contradict any other part of Scripture. Remember what we said before, everything is, there's no contradictions in Scripture. Everything is, is, is smooth from one end to the other. So when you receive an answer in prayer, you think you receive an answer uh, over the pulpit. Remember, there are no contradictions in Scripture and God will never contradict Himself. Amen. In general, Scripture should be taken literally unless it's clear from the context that it's not meant to be taken literally. That's a good general rule to apply. Now, there are some instances where we understand this is not to be taken literally. Jesus said, I am the door. We don't, no one believes that He's talking about I'm a slab of wood with hinges and a doorknob. No one thinks that. We understand He's talking about a point of entry. Into something else, talking about the kingdom of heaven, etc., etc., salvation. But he's not a literal door. Okay? Other scriptures, in general, we're going to take it literally. Unless it's meant, unless it's clear from the context that it's not meant to be taken literally. A lot of the book of Revelation is symbolism, allegory. That does exist in the Bible. Not all of scripture is meant to be taken literally. It's heresy for some people to to, to hear it like that. All of the Word of God is true. Okay? It's true from cover to cover. But when we're interpreting Scripture, not all of it is meant to be taken literally. There are allegories. There's symbolism. There's poetry language in here. We'll get into in, in later levels of study. But just understand that. Generally speaking, we're going to take everything literally unless it's clear from the context that it's not meant to be taken literally. Okay, moving on to an intermediate level. What determines an intermediate level? I have no idea. Let God tell you. But as we move on, as we get more comfortable in our studies, God will move us forward. God will cause us to to advance in our studies, okay? Wow. There are five divisions in the Old Testament that we ought to know about. The law, also known as the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. Uh, these cover the creation account, the flood, the origin of the Jewish people, and includes a detailed list of what pleases God and what doesn't. Amen. A lot of people believe that the New Testament is the most important books of the Bible. Maybe, maybe for a strict application. But understanding the overall plan of God, I would humbly disagree. I think these first five books are the most important because they lay the foundation for the rest of it. They lay the foundation of our understanding. In in these five books, God is introduced. He's introduced as our Creator. Sin is introduced. The family is introduced. Uh, the laws of God are introduced. We see all kinds of things first introduced here. And they set the stage for everything else. We can start with the New Testament. We can start with Acts 2.38 uh, and get someone the Holy Ghost. But they have, no, they have nothing on which to, to frame that. They have nowhere to pin that. And I, I know God works with everyone differently, but in general... I've got to be careful with this. God fill someone with the Holy Ghost. That's not my business. He can do what He wants. But in general, I, I have issue forcing someone to that point, just to get them the Holy Ghost, just to get them baptized when they don't really understand the overall context of why. Why do I, I, I see that I need to, but I, I don't understand why. I would rather I would rather, all things being equal. That they have a better understanding of where that fits in the, in the overall context of things versus just running them through. It's easier for them to weather storms with a greater amount of understanding. Okay? Again, God wants to fill someone with the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to argue with God, He can do what He wants. I don't fill anyone with the Holy Ghost, but if it were, if it were up to me, I suppose it's not, is it? So why don't we move on? How about that? <laughs> uh, history: Joshua, Judges, Ruth, for Second Samuel, for Second Kings, for Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. These depict the history of Israel from the crossing of the River Jordan into the Promised Land until their captivity and subsequent release and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. It covers everything, the entire history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It doesn't whitewash anything about their history. A lot of history, if it's written by that nation, uh, it's going to be written in a pretty good light. It's going to be very forgiving of the nation's sins and uh very excited about the nation's uh, strengths. Not so Israel. When the Lord God pens something, it is truth. Stark, bare, naked truth. Even his favorite King David, he didn't whitewash anything that he did. Everything is depicted in, in stark detail. All of his mistakes, his good and his bad. It's all in there. Poetry. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Now, these are not written in short, rhymed verses. They're written in free verse. They're volumes of praises, promises, prayers, prophecies, and commandments. (sighs) A lot of Ps. Major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Primarily devoted to events in Israel, both present and future. Events such as the coming Messiah, the Church Age, the end of time, the Kingdom Age. Topics that... I just love, and I'm looking forward to. They're called major books uh, simply because of their length, not because of their importance. The minor prophets, again called minor because of their relative brevity, their shortness, Uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. uh, There's no Hezekiah in there. Primarily devoted to God, giving His people instruction and warning of coming judgment. Okay, just a bird's eye view of these. Different writing styles found in Scripture that we need to be aware of Four principles of interpretation. Uh, there are three different kinds of writing styles, history, poetry, and prophecy. Each one needs to be approached a little bit differently from an interpretation standpoint, if that's what we're seeking to do is interpret Scripture. So history, to be taken literally unless the context clearly states it isn't meant to be, like we said earlier. Poetry. In Hebrew literature, you're not going to find rhyming sounds. You're going to find rhyming thoughts. This is called parallelism. Sometimes the two parallel thoughts will be in a cause and effect relationship or some other logical sequence. For example, Psalm 1-2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. They kind of complement each other. They mirror each other. Other times the parallelism is anti-ethical. Antithetical, Opposite. Two opposite thoughts will be contrasted. I had that memorized and I knew I'd had a problem with it. Psalm 1-6 says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. They're contrasting ideas. You see that a lot in the poetry literature we find in Scripture. What matters for us here uh, concerning interpretation is that if one line of poetry is unclear, the second line may help clarify the meaning. Okay, so if we have a problem with, with one part of it, the second part of it may help us understand. In prophecy, prophecy there is extensive use of symbolism. So we should use caution when seeking to take these verses literally. The first thing we should seek to understand is what is the purpose of the prophecy. One, one possible purpose is to warn of potential consequences and inspire change in us. In Jeremiah 18, we see a prophecy uh, concerning that. I'm running out of time, so we're not going to read that. Uh, verses 5-10, through 10, Jeremiah 18, 5-10. You can look that up. Uh, another idea that we need to look for is to prepare us for the future. Not to know what the future is, but to get us ready for the future. The reason that we can discern the signs of the times is not so that we can go around telling what the future is but it's so that we can be ready for it. We can get others ready for it. Jesus gives us the book of Revelation so that we can understand when are these things going to take place and how do we get ready for it? Because we've got to be ready, folks. That's the purpose of prophecy. Future prophecy. There's two kinds, foretelling and forthtelling. Expose common pitfalls of human nature. The book of Hosea is a perfect example of that. In the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have four Gospels. Why four? They're the same basic story, right? But they're written from different perspectives, different accounts given. They're written to different audiences. Okay. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as, as the synoptic gospels because they give a synopsis of the life of Jesus Christ. John's book is different. It was written much later. It contains accounts that are not found in the other three, and it seeks to present a deeper portrait of Christ, their Messiah. Matthew was written to the Jews. It uses a lot of Old Testament prophecies showing that Jesus fulfilled them. It seeks to present Jesus as the King. Mark was written primarily to Gentiles. It seeks to present Jesus as the suffering servant. It seeks to show later Christians that Jesus had no political affiliations as related to Rome, but was here to establish his heavenly kingdom. There was an idea shortly after Christ's resurrection, uh, again, particularly the zealots, that uh, he wanted to establish a kingdom here on earth. Uh, That wasn't the case. They thought that before. Some continued to think that after. Luke was written to the Gentiles, presents Jesus as the Son of Man. He uses a lot of... uh, phraseology describing Jesus as the Savior of the world, not just of the Jews, the universality of salvation, showing that it was also for the Gentiles, not just the Jews. That was, that was the primary focus of the book of Luke. John was also written to the Gentiles, seeks to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah that was prophesied, and that He is indeed the Son of God, that He was God in human flesh. Amen. So, methods of study at this level. At some point, you're going to want to start using some Bible study tools. Amen. Uh, You don't have to. Again, looking at these different uh, stages, and I'll admit that these are arbitrary stages I'm using just to categorize things, but do I need to have a library of of Bible encyclopedias and, and, and concordances to understand what God is telling me? No, you don't. God speaks to you wherever you're at. I would still encourage you to move toward that, though, and and the reason is this. The more you understand of Scripture, the more you apply Scripture to your life, the deeper you're going to want to go, the greater understanding you're going to want to have. And these things... It is our privilege, it is our pleasure to dig these things out from Scripture. It is the glory of kings to search out a matter, the book of Proverbs says. So I would encourage you, uh, if you're not, move toward these. They really help our understanding. Uh, Concordances, useful for looking up Bible passages, if you only remember a word contained in that verse. You can do a word study, find every use of a particular word in the Bible. Concordances are awesome. Uh, Strong's Concordance, uh, I've used that for years. I've tried other ones. I always seem to go back to that one because I'm just comfortable with with that. But there are other ones. Uh, Bible Dictionaries, useful in understanding the historical and cultural context of a passage. (sighs) I'm starting to move fast. I'm sorry. Bible Dictionary, cross reference guides. Anyway, you got the list there in your notes. Uh, look them up. You can find plenty of information about them online. Uh, you don't have to buy the paperback. The paperback are very expensive, but if that's your thing, man, buy all the paperbacks. Uh, you can get them online largely for free. Uh, different Bible programs, you can get these for free. Uh, and they're awesome principles of interpretation to be aware of I included that as well as you begin to to move uh, farther along in, in your study of scripture uh, apply these principles to your studies amen they'll they'll help a lot okay <laughs> advanced That's where you start getting into the original languages, Greek or Hebrew lexicons, the original manuscripts, extant manuscripts, uh, all of those things. Anyway, um, when you're you're looking up the original meaning of a word, I would give you one caution. I do it. A lot of people do it. Uh, It's helpful in, in, in understanding a passage, I think. But just a word of caution. A lot of these words have multiple meanings, and it's tempting to not look at the context and just assign the meaning that that best fits what you're wanting it to say. Please don't do that. Uh, look at the context of the passage, look at what the what the overall uh, verse the overall chapter is trying to say, and let scripture tell you what it's supposed to mean, okay. That's my one word of caution there unless you're familiar with the language I've 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 read things uh, from people who are familiar in our movement that are familiar with this uh, brother Seagraves uh, has a bunch of stuff on this he speaks or, or reads or both these languages and he has given this this word of warning uh, unless you're familiar with the the, the syntax, the grammar, the, the idioms, all of those things, how sentences are structured. Uh, be careful when, when you're just picking a word out, uh, out of the ether, and assigning a meaning to it. Uh, it, could, it could have several meanings based on context, so just be aware of that. Alright, uh, original manuscripts. You can actually, there are Bible programs. Uh, mine has a lot of the original manuscripts that the translations have used um, I can't read them, but uh, they're there. Uh, Anyway, so they are available uh, for people to look at. They are out there. And when you start looking at the original manuscripts, you start looking at the the amount, the the vast amount of manuscripts, evidence that we have. uh, It's really a a boost to your, your confidence in the Word of God. All right, in conclusion... When we seek to understand, to study, make absolutely sure that your motives in your heart remains pure. As you begin to learn more, and as God leads you into greater areas of revelation, we're human beings, folks, and the temptation is always pride. I know more than he does. I know more than that person does. It seems silly when you verbalize it like that. I, I know. But we can get to that point real easy. We are seeking wisdom. We are seeking to receive wisdom and understanding from God for the purposes of being better able to serve and please Him. I want to be Christ-like. That's why I'm seeking wisdom. I want to please Him. That's why I'm seeking understanding. I'm seeking these things because I love God's Word and I desire to know it and apply it to my life. That's a good motivation. That's a good reason for seeking understanding of God. I want to be better equipped to both teach and to defend Scripture. That's a good reason. We're not seeking these things to appear more learned or more sophisticated or to show all those novices what a real Bible scholar looks like. Amen. We must ensure that every time we approach Scripture, we do so humbly, sincerely, and with a pure heart. Let God speak to you in your studies. Let God reveal His deep truths to you in your studies. And the final point, don't allow your learning to outpace your wisdom or your relationship. Hebrews 5:13 and 14 says, For everyone that, is, that useth milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, to discern both good and evil. Now, I understand sometimes we use that Scripture to berate those that have lived for God for a while. We should be farther along. But the reverse is also true. If I'm a new convert, I ought not be eating meat. I'm not ready for that yet. And I've made this mistake before. I've tried to teach a Bible study to someone. And I just... I have all of this... All of this that God is showing me. And as give it all to them, and it blows them out of the water. They're not ready for that. And I don't mean that despairingly. I mean that factually. There was a time that I wasn't ready for that. Why does God reveal His truth to us line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little? Why does He do it that way? Because concept builds upon concept. Again, if I don't have anywhere to hang that, what am I going to do with it? I've got, to, I've got to progress forward. But I've got to start somewhere at the beginning. I started at the beginning. And I'm thankful I did. Because God was able to lay a strong foundation in my life upon which now He can build on. If you don't have that foundation, folks, you can build all you want. It's going to fall. It's not going to last. I want God's work in my life to last. Amen. Let's all stand.